Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Simply Put. I am so pumped to hang out with you guys today. I am just expecting that God is going to speak in a big way that his kindness and his joy is going to come through these stories today. So we are going to be looking at Romans chapter two and also John chapter eight. And what we're going to do is we're going to weave these stories together What is God teaching us about his kindness and how do we live that out in our own lives? So I'm expecting, I'm so excited to hang out with you guys and yeah, let's do this. Welcome to Simply Put a podcast that has been brought to life with you in mind. Whether you consider yourself an all-in Christian or have never been introduced to the freedom found in God, this podcast is for you. While the Bible might seem complicated, God's message is rather simple. Every week, you can expect Brit to take God's word and break it down into something we can all better understand. Now here's your host, Brit. All right, so we are going to take a deep dive right into Romans chapter two. It says this, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will be escaping God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? And it's that last line right there that we're really going to focus on today is this idea that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Not God's judgment, not God's guilt trip, not God's condemnation, but God's kindness leads you towards repentance. And as I wrestled with this verse and tried to, you know, really dive into this idea, okay, God, so I get it. Your kindness leads us towards repentance, but how, what does that look like? What does that feel like? How do we even do that? And I was reminded of the story in John chapter eight. When the adulterous woman comes out and Jesus prompts the people around to drop their stones. So today we're going to dive into that story specifically, looking at the details of John 8. How does it weave into Romans 2 and how do we actually live this out in our own lives? All right. So John chapter 8 starts like this. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts. Now, I just want to stop there because as I was reading, I kind of got fascinated with this idea that at dawn, he appeared again at the temple courts and dawn is the first appearance of light. So at the first appearance of light, the light of the world appeared again because in John 8, 12, it says, I am the light of the world. And I just think that is so profound. I think that is so cool that at the first appearance of light, the light of the world appeared again. And that is just amazing. The fact that John wrote this in such a poetic form, it just, wow. Like you guys, I hope you catch that, that every single detail in this Bible is so profound. 
if we take the time to just dissect it a little bit. So at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So this is the first thing I really just want to draw out from this story, the detail of where Jesus has placed himself. And we'll later learn that right now, Jesus is teaching the teachers of the law and the Pharisees on the ground. And here is what Matthew chapter 23 says about this. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are experts in the law of Moses. So obey everything they teach you, but don't do as they do. After all, they say one thing and do something else. They pile heavy burdens on people's shoulders and won't lift a finger to help. Everything they do is just to show off in front of others. They even make a big show of wearing scripture verses on their foreheads and arms, and they wear big tassels for everyone to see. They love the best seats at banquets and the front of seats in synagogues. And when they are in the market, they like to have people greet them as their teachers. But none of you should be called a teacher. You have only one teacher and all of you are like brothers and sisters. Don't call anyone on earth your father. All of you have the same father in heaven. So teachers of the law and Pharisees are people that Jesus knew weren't living out the heart and the ministry of Jesus correctly, but yet still Jesus takes the time to meet them exactly where they're at. And I think this is so hard, right? I think this is one of the biggest stressors in our society, probably dating back generation to generation. This isn't a new struggle, but it's this idea that we can shame or condemn people into believing in God. And I love the way Richard Rohr puts it. He says, Jesus tried to change people by loving and healing them. His harshest words of judgment were reserved for those who perpetuated systems of inequality and oppression and who, through religion itself, thought they were sinless and untouchable. I mean, if we're honest, if we're really, really honest, when we're walking in righteousness, there's this whisper of pride that makes us believe that we're better than someone, that we're walking higher than someone. And what Jesus is doing here is so opposite of what so many of us do. Because many of us, if we're honest, when we're trying to reach someone, we say, you just got to get on my level. But what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, actually, I'm going to come down to your level and teach you because I know that without the strength of me, you won't be able to stand up. So here, let me come to you and give you strength to finally stand. And while we're down here, let me teach you about my kindness, about my love and about my grace that abounds forever. So as Jesus is teaching the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they bring in a woman caught in adultery. Okay, so while I am reading this, and this could just be the millennial in me wanting to question everything, but I just got to know, where is the man? I mean, if she was caught in adultery, it takes two to tango. Like, where is the other part of the circumstance? But anyways, these are just, you know, again, questions we have. So they bring her to Jesus and, and they're expecting Jesus to make a judgment call on this woman's behalf. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to set Jesus up. In John 8 verse 6, it says this, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But what I love about Jesus is he doesn't even respond to their question. 
It says in verse six, part B, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now what Jesus is doing is he is foreshadowing what Paul will say later in Romans, where Paul says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So Jesus addresses them saying, okay, so if you are without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. And then he begins to start writing in the dirt again. And every time I study this story, I'm stuck on a second question. What was Jesus writing? Was he writing dates? Was he writing places? Was he writing names? Because he had to have been writing something that would cause these men to humbly retreat. It says later on that the men began to fade away from oldest to the youngest. So every time I read that, I just wonder, what was he writing? And then I find myself abundantly thankful to serve a God that when pride and judgment root itself in me, that he gently reminds me of where I've been before, the grace that was given to me, his kindness that was shown to me, and gives me the opportunity to humbly retreat away from being prideful and judgmental. Like that is who Jesus is. But we're going to answer this question. How does Jesus lead people towards repentance through kindness? And what happens in the rest of the story is one by one, these people begin to fade away as Jesus is riding in the dirt. And then he approaches the woman. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So as I studied this story, really there were four key points that I just found so true with this idea of how did Jesus lead people towards repentance through his kindness and how can we do the same? First thing he did, he got down on their level and meets them where they're at. We see this in John 8 verse 2 when Jesus met them at their level to teach them. If we're going to lead people in kindness towards repentance, then the very first thing we have to do is meet them at the level they are at. The second thing I love about this story is it shows that to lead people in kindness towards repentance, we can't be afraid of showing grace even when it gets messy. We see this theme repeat itself over and over again in the Gospels. But even in John 9, we learn about um, Jesus healing a man after he spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it on his eyes, and then his sight is restored. There are some things in life. There are some moments of clarity. There are some points of repentance that can only come when we're willing to get messy. And so that's what I would say the second is don't be afraid to show grace, even if it's messy. And I love, I love the last two because I think they show so much about resilience and also gratitude. 
I don't know if you noticed this, but Jesus stayed when the others left. In verses 9 through 10, it says this. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? This idea that Jesus stayed when others faded away. You know, there are seasons that our loved ones are going to walk through that it is hard to stay firm and stay planted with good boundaries. It's hard not to shrink back. But I believe what Jesus is calling us to through this story, through this idea of leading in kindness is is this truth that you can't shrink back. You have to stay firm in who God has called you to be and the power he has placed within you to lead others to Christ. And the last one, he calls this woman higher. The very last words from Jesus to her was, go now and leave your life of sin. This idea that if we're going to lead people in kindness to repentance, then we have to call them higher continuously. And in this story, Jesus isn't saying, get everything together, come back to me and we'll talk. What he's saying is, hey, I'm not going to condemn you either. So go now, not later, not next week, not next year, not after Taco Tuesday, like go now and leave your life of sin. There's something so powerful in that word now, because there's something so human in us that thinks we have to have it all together before God will take it. And the truth of the matter is, is that when he leads us to repentance through his kindness, he gets on our level. He meets us where we're at. He's not afraid to show us grace, even if it gets messy. He stays when everybody else fades away. And he always calls you higher in immediacy. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? This is something that I find myself lately so passionate about and just so diligently reminded um, of the whisper of Christ that just whispers, if you're going to err on any side, err on the side of love. Because it doesn't matter what gift you have. If you don't know how to love, you literally have nothing. We see that in 1 Corinthians over and over and over again. That this idea that if we don't live in love and kindness, then really we're just making a bunch of noise. And I love the way it's stated in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I love the way 1 Corinthians 13 John 8 
and Romans 2 are all weaved together in this beautiful strand. This idea that it was God's kindness that led us towards repentance. So the pressure's off. James 4.12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, (laughs) who are you to judge your neighbor? The pressure is off. You do not have to spend this life judging on behalf of God. You have the ability, you have the opportunity to lead with kindness and love with grace. You have the opportunity to draw people near with love and with kindness. We have permission to drop our symbols and honestly love each other just because that is what we're called to do. And sometimes when I face opposition, especially in the realm of judgment, I have to remind myself that if I get to heaven and I loved people too hard, that's a battle. I'll be pleased to fight. So that's all we got today, guys. Romans chapter two, John chapter eight, first Corinthians 13, a little bit of James pressing into us just that simple idea. If we're going to lead people towards repentance, let us always lead with kindness. Thanks for hanging out today, guys. I just hope you found this message encouraging, challenging, and refreshing. So be sure, like, subscribe, comment. I don't, can you even comment? I don't even know, but share with a friend. Um, Yeah, but I think more importantly, let's just go live this out. Like, let's meet people where they're at. Let's show grace, even if it gets messy. Let's stay when others back off and let's call one another higher because that's what Christ has called us to do. So have a great day, have a great rest of the week, and I will see you guys back next week. Peace out.